Good morning, Zhao. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here in the Zhao community. We are in our Sacred Rhythms series, and we're not quite done yet, but we are in our last part of dissecting the spiritual life cycle. We've so far talked about the beginning of a journey, a kind of call to adventure, corresponding to Eric Erickson's psychosocial development stages of childhood, where we examine whether going on a new spiritual journey is worth the risk. Then we moved into stage two uh, with the story of David and then the love story of David and Jonathan, talking about what it means in a spiritual cycle to find a new sense of identity and have that make us more available to true and lasting intimacy and love in our romantic relationships, but also elsewhere. Then last week, we talked about the third stage of the cycle, generativity versus stagnation, as Eric Erickson puts it. Um, but the time that we are called to really turn away from that self-reflection and our most close relationships into facing the world really putting ourselves out there, taking risks to lead with boldness, to make an impact, to have our faith and whatever we're journeying through really impact the world around us and leave something behind. And finally, we are entering into the fourth and final part of the cycle that we'll talk about, which is, according to Erickson, integrity versus despair. Basically looking back through that spiritual cycle and learning from it, appreciating it, understanding how it has made us wise, and then facing the end of the cycle, whether that be in the life cycle, uh, actual death, or in a spiritual cycle, the end of a really important chapter in our lives. Facing that ending or that death with hope uh, and, and feelings of, uh, of closure, completeness, and anticipating what is to come on the other side. Now, Eric Erickson, when he did his work, he was talking about psychosocial development across the human lifespan. So he is talking about beginning with birth, ending with death. But when we are using that framework to talk about spiritual cycles, we know that a spiritual cycle, a spiritual journey is both lifelong and there are many cycles over and over again. That each exploration into a new understanding of who you are as a child of God is an invitation into a new cycle. That we may invest ourselves for, you know, years or weeks or moments in a spiritual exploration that may move us through all of these phases. And when we come to the end, we face a critical juncture. Will we engage in reflection on that cycle? Will we look back at where we started, where we've come from, and what we've left behind? Will we integrate that knowledge? Will we understand how it has shaped us? Will we catalog what we've learned? Will we see the good in it? And will we be able to move on through the end of things? Will we be able to let go of it? This is incredibly difficult in general, and it's incredibly countercultural. We resist death at every turn, and I mean that in a literal and metaphorical sense. Our scriptures teach us that we must move from death into new and eternal life, that death is a part of the ecosystem, it is part of God's plan for us, and it is part of God's good plan and good promise for us that we will emerge on the other side, different and new. 
and that it is not the end of things to have things end, that new beginnings are on the other side. But our culture really staves off death with everything we have. We hold with an iron grip onto what we know and what we can control. And that practice is not serving us. It doesn't allow us to move completely through these cycles and emerge into the new life God has for us on the other side. It keeps us stagnating and in fact generates this kind of despair as things end around us and we just grip and grip and grip and despair, waiting and trying to hold off the end as long as we can. Some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about already if you like to resist change. But for others of you that are having a harder time relating, I really want to just sort of walk you through one incredibly important spiritual season and cycle of my life. Now, I mentioned that spiritual cycles can be across a lifetime or across a few moments. I'm going to tell you about a spiritual project, a spiritual cycle, a time in my life that really impacted me that lasted about three or four years, four years. I was living in Chicago, and I was a part of some small groups. Um, I was really starting to connect with other people of faith. I was in my early 20s and trying to find community. And I also needed a place to live. Now, I was looking into a lot of different places to be, and I knew that there were some intentional communities in Chicago, which had always really fascinated me. And I explored them. I started interviewing at them, seeing if um, some of these intentional communal living spaces would be a good fit for me. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there was something missing. For me, in these secular intentional communities, one of the intentional pieces that just wasn't there was a sharing of spirituality and faith. And so I started bringing that prayer request to my small group and saying, you know, I just really, I want to find a way to come home to a community that can be with me in my faith. And I think that living alone, I had been living alone for that previous year, I said, I think this isn't good for me anymore. That's one of those, if you say, isn't good for me anymore, that's like a red flag for the end of a previous cycle. And I thought, okay, I need to move into something new, something deeper and more intimate and connection of community. And I really want to do that with intention, but also with an explicit um, intention towards spirituality and Jesus. And as I started to talk to my small group about this, I discovered that another member of my group, her name is Jody, really felt that call too. And so we started to talk about it. Together we entered that first stage, that call to adventure of the spiritual cycle. We started meeting over cheap coffee in diners, and dreaming about what intentional community could look like. And we realized very quickly that rather than going into a, a space that already existed, maybe we were called into the adventure of building one. We felt totally out of place. We felt totally ill-equipped. We were like, we've never even lived in an intentional community, and now we're going to try and start one on our own. This seems bananas. And we were asking a lot of those questions. Can I risk it? Can we risk this? Is this going to blow up in our face? Should we just turn back now and decline this spiritual adventure? 
But we prayed and prayed, and we found enough trust in ourselves, in God, and in one another to say, we'll give it a shot. We'll see where it goes. And so uh, in 2012, we formed what became known as the Rabbit Hole. It was a intentional community in, in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. We rented out a huge space above a bar in a pretty um, kind of abandoned outskirt of this neighborhood. It felt a little bit like industrial wasteland, but there were tons of windows and there was lots of sunlight and there were so many rooms. There were a lot of common spaces, which we really valued, and then many small bedrooms. And we thought, this will be great. We will all have our private space, but it will bring us into community together. As we started to form that community, and we were recruiting new people into it with us and setting out our values, we really had to enter that stage two. Who are we? What does this mean to us? We discerned those questions of identity. We prayed about it, we talked about it, we laughed about it, and we decided what kind of community we wanted to be, setting out values around sharing meals and sharing spiritual practice, about um, committing ourselves boldly to Jesus, but also to the work of justice together. You may see some themes already, some connections in the ways that the roots of the rabbit hole have emerged in my life into some of the mission, mission and vision of Zhao. But that dual combination of Jesus and justice, this space where we could be cultivating a different kind of spiritual community, these questions of identity really rooted us together. And through that, we formed those bonds of intimacy that are also really important in that stage two of the cycle. That gave way to what I call the golden year of the rabbit hole, where we had just this right balance of the people who were in it, people who were on fire for the, for the passion of the project, people who were um, really showing up for one another. We shared meals, we read scripture together, we would wake up early one week um, every morning to do morning prayer and I would groggily show up uh, in my pajamas, barely awake and pray with them. And it was really transformational. It changed how I read the Bible. It changed how I relate to friends. It grew that small group that we started with into six small groups. And the rabbit hole started to move into that third stage, generativity. We started to really make an impact beyond the people who were living there. And in fact, there were people who would come over every Wednesday night who felt a sense of belonging at the rabbit hole. And so we would give them access or keys or whatever, and they would just come in and start cooking these meals in our home, in our kitchen every Wednesday night. And then people would gather and pray and talk and live as community it was really, really incredible, and it felt like we were doing something that truly mattered. I started to get all sorts of grandiose fantasies at that point. This is a community that could really outlast me and Jody. We were kind of running it, but who would take it over when we were done? We could see generations of rabbits, as we called one another. We could see into the future, different communities coming in and shaping it with different spiritual practices or a different focus on justice. And I started to really hope that this would be the legacy, that the rabbit hole would um, live on sort of forever. And then after that golden year, 
folks started slowly needing to move on. Jody and I continued to live there, but one by one, members of that community were called into other spaces or other stages of their life. And as we were recruiting new people, we found that the new energy coming in just wasn't prepared to build it. It was getting harder and harder to recruit new housemates, and the impact we were having seemed to be less and less. Jody and I were getting more and more exhausted as well. And I found myself saying things that I knew weren't right. I would say things like, well, we just need to get new members in so that they can carry on the legacy of our vision. We just need new energy, new lifeblood in here, and then they can take what we've built and run with it. And as I was saying those things to Jody, I was like, this is what dying churches say to each other, and it never works. <laughs> because if the vision is coming to an end, someone else shouldn't come in with your vision, they should come in with theirs. And it didn't really seem like the Holy Spirit was providing a change in direction, just a slow decline. I talked with my spiritual advisor at the time, a woman named Emily, and I told her, like, I really want this to last, outlast me. And she sort of chuckled and said, yeah, I know, you put a lot of your mortality issues into the organizations you start. <laughs> and it was a very, I mean, I'm sure she was kinder than that. I remember it very bluntly in my imagination because it fell like an anvil on my chest. And I was like, mortality issues? What are you talking about, Emily? I hold very loosely to this life. I don't need, you know, God will take me when God takes me. And she was like, yeah, but you, you feel that way about yourself, your body, your identity. You don't feel that way about the things that you start, the organizations you start. You want those to last forever. And that's how you think you'll last forever. And so I had to really confront that. And it was true. I was trying to make sure that my impact and my vision, mine, 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 my identity would go on living after I was gone from the rabbit hole. That the thing that I had birthed into the world, I needed it to live forever in order to be successful. And something struck me as just like really deeply unfaithful about that. I went back to Jody and we continued to pray. She told me that in her own discernment, she had realized that she also was called to move on from the rabbit hole. And those things were hard for me to hear because at the time, I knew that I was called to church planting, but I assumed that it was going to be in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago, out of the rabbit hole, that the rabbit hole was going to sort of break into this new church that I was called to build. And I was devastated, but I knew that it was over that it was time to bring it to an end. I knew that if we followed the lead of those dying churches, and it's not just churches that do this, we all do this, but that was what I was most familiar with. I had seen this in other communities. And what it does is it saps the energy as we hold on and cling on to what is passing away. We can slow it down, but all we are doing is stagnating and slowing ourselves down in that cycle toward death and regeneration. Jody and I started to pray and dream and think, well, what could God call us into if instead of putting our energy into our white knuckles, 
we allowed this to end and God freed us up into something else. We held a house meeting and we worked with the remaining members to decide to close the rabbit hole. And it was so sad. It was so, so sad. And also it was right and holy and good. And after just a few years of ministry and life together, the rabbit hole as an intentional Christian community came to an end. And I think in our American ethos, we think of that as a sort of failure because we all have this narrative of ever-expanding capitalism and um, the idea that things are only meaningful if they're permanent. But looking back, I was able to see how much I had grown personally. I was able to see how many people were impacted by that life together. And actually, still today, years later, not only do I see the fruit in my life and in Zhao, but I also hear from other people the impact of being a part of that community or even adjacent to it had on their faith, their community, their development. And it's an incredible honor when I allow it to be. When I can face the end of the rabbit hole with integrity rather than despair, I see that God worked a miracle in that moment and in that time, and that clinging to it after its time was over was hurting us. But releasing it offered a lot of blessing. Because as the rabbit hole died, as we were able to take that wisdom and celebrate it, rather than fixating on our regrets or trying to hold on to it and stave off death. Each of us was called into a new place, into a new cycle. It was not long before Jody and I found ourselves drinking cheap coffee in diners again, only this time we were coming up with phrases like Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive. You see, the energy that we had been pouring into keeping the rabbit hole alive had held us in that moment. But once we let that moment go, once we moved through the death of that project together, God invited us both on a new journey to dream Zao into being. Jody's journey took a much different path than mine. She was deeply involved in the in the year preceding and then the first year that I moved up to Milwaukee, she did remote work and then her cycle ended and she moved on to other ministry while I started potentially the most important <laughs> spiritual vocational cycle in my life. And I've been in that now for five years. But the generativity that we had, had held on to at the rabbit hole, that impact that we were so in love with, it it took a lot of energy, and then once it diminished, it took the same amount of energy. But once we let that die, once we were allowing ourselves to move on, once we trusted God enough to see us through the other side and bring us into a new kind of life, that's when God started to birth this community in our imaginations. And it gave us the freedom to, to answer another call to adventure, to start a new cycle, to create hope, for the thing that was next to come. Our friend and ministry colleague, Tyler Sitt, um, talks a lot about these cycles of life to death in ways that have impacted me a lot. I know they've impacted Cameron a lot. And the image that he has offered that seems most powerful is one of composting. 
In American capitalism, we love a good landfill. We don't really want things to break down and die. In fact, we make materials over and over again that resist decomposing. And it's destroying us. We have this obsession with immortality, with lasting forever, and so we will build these kinds of plastics and styrofoams of, of the material world and of our spirit that we say, this will never die, this will be forever, and I will lock it in into a landfill. We do this with our very bodies when we die. We, we, we put all sorts of fluids into them so that they will remain exactly as they are. We put them in boxes. We put those boxes in concrete, and we say, this will remain and that is completely at odds with the way that God has designed the earth to work. Because God has designed the earth to work through many cycles of life and death. Through the breaking down of death into life again. And that is what the end of a spiritual cycle is about. Moving into this composting part of life. Where something that was living and thriving and generating and bearing fruit slowly withers and then dies and returns to the earth, breaking down to be the new soil that is the very place of birth for the next thing that is to come. And that soil is so much richer because of what has decomposed before in it. Every cycle brings the wisdom necessary to birth the new one into being. And when we resist that, when we choose the landfill over the compost heap, when we choose stagnation over turning over and breaking down, we are choosing the ways of, of truly of death in this resistance, in this stagnation, rather than death into life, which is the call of the gospel. The story we have today is Jesus facing death. Now, Jesus would rise in three days in a way <laughs> that none of us can. He, he was going to come back to life as we knew it in a, in a totally different way. But even Jesus had to face death. And even Jesus had to move through death and suffering and the end of his life into new life. But on the cross, we see him there with two other people. And we see two very different ways of facing the end. Now, as Jesus was on the cross and being mocked and really, truly suffering, one of the other people crucified next to him said, if you really are who you say you are, if you're so son of God or whatever, Save yourself. And what this person is really urging Jesus to do is stave off death. What this person is saying is, if you're so God, if you're so in charge, if you're so miraculous, if you're the Messiah, then you can stop this cycle right now. You can stay doing whatever you want. You can resist that death and not move from death into anything else. You can just get up off this cross. This is the temptation of the world around us to say, save yourself, stave off death. Eke out a little bit longer in this cycle. Resist the end. Just, you know, white knuckle it a little harder. And that is not the way of Jesus. Now the other person that was crucified next to Jesus had a very different response. He said, Jesus... 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. Signaling that he knew the end was coming. He said, we have been sentenced to die. He accepted where he was. He accepted the end that was coming. But he also trusted that there was something on the other side. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come into your kingdom on the other side of death, when the next cycle begins, when life begins anew, when the next thing that is even bigger and better comes out of the soil of this moment, remember me. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Now I really want to unpack that. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise because there are many parts to that phrase. First, Jesus starts with, I assure you, a promise. Jesus is invoking that trust that is required at the beginning of the cycle. When we ask, can I risk it? Is God with me? Can I embark on a new adventure? Jesus is invoking that now because the end of a cycle leads directly into the beginning of another. And the trust that we need to start on the spiritual journey and the path is the same trust that we need in the moments of it ending. I assure you, I promise you, some passages, some interpretations say, truly I tell you. Jesus, who is the truth and the light and the way, is promising us, is invoking that trust. I assure you that today, now today we have no idea what that means, today. Today might have been Friday that afternoon that they were hanging on the cross. Today could have been this eternal moment. But what it means is imminently, without a gap, without a pause, immediately, it means there will not be a time without this. But right now, in the moment that it matters, he goes on, you will be with me. You will be with me. It means that God is never leaving our side, that though things may end, God is with us, that God is constant through the endings and beginnings of these cycles. You will be with me, and therefore I will be with you. I, God, am with you at the end and at the new beginning, which is paradise. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise means we don't know. We have no idea what paradise is. We have no idea what heaven is. But we know that it is good. It is holy. It is unimaginable. It is new. Paradise means something bigger and beyond. Paradise means something you can't imagine yet because you are not there. Paradise means something good. Jesus says to him, I promise you that right now, without a gap, I am with you and you will be with me as we enter into the next thing which is good and holy and new and beyond your imagination until we get there together. This is the promise of the end, a new beginning. And if we resist that new beginning, if we stave off that death, we will fall into despair. We will say, save yourself, save me, get me out of this. I want to stay where I was. But if we can release, if we can walk with hands open through this world, if we can say, God, I receive your blessing, and God, I feel it slip through my fingers when it is done, and therefore my hands remain open to receive what you have poured out for me again, that is moving through a holy spiritual cycle. That is following Jesus from death into new life. That is the call of the end of things.
Now, my story is about a project, a spiritual exercise, a vocation that was really important to me. But this applies in so many different ways. It could be friendships that have brought you to new places, taught you about yourself, generated all kinds of joy in your life, but need to come to an end. It could be things you believe about yourself or even personality traits, the things that you think define you, that brought you somewhere, taught you about yourself, helped you move through the world, but also need to cease being. It could be a job or career. It could be anything that you devote yourself to, whether that was something that was uh, fruitful completely and, and you leave it feeling great or something that really deteriorated at the end. Our culture teaches us to say it was only valuable if it was permanent and forever. But the challenge of this stage is to look back without regrets, saying, this happened, this is where I've been, this is what I've learned, this is the wisdom I take with me, and this is how I let it go. Your relationship that ended is not a failure. The job that you moved on from is not a failure. The Community that blessed you and then you left is not a failure. Permanence and that myth of immortality is not the goal. Growing into who you are called to be, receiving that blessing from God, learning from it, gathering that wisdom, and then being willing to move on when it breaks way into an ending so that something new can come in, this is the holy path. And in terms of our spiritual journey, this looks like a lot of different things. I've mentioned our projects, our friendships, our, uh, our ego and personality, our jobs or careers. But I think one of the most important spiritual uh, components here is belief. What are the beliefs that have served you, that have helped you establish an identity, that have generated something for you, and also now that you need to let die? It's easy for us to look at things as purely holy or purely toxic, but one of the beliefs that I needed to move through a cycle with was the belief uh, in substitutionary atonement, which uh, by non-theological non, you know, words is basically the idea that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for me, that I should have died in Jesus' place to make up for my sins. Now, I do believe that this theology can be incredibly toxic, but there was a time in my life when that's how I related to Jesus. I saw him on the cross, said that should have been me because I have sinned and have screwed up, but Jesus took my place, and that makes me feel loved. That helps me know that I am truly in the family of God, and it helped me engage in the world around me. But over time, it started to break down. What kind of God would require a blood sacrifice? What kind of God would sacrifice then their own child? What kind of God would condemn me to a death like that, only to substitute another living human being in their place? I was reaching the end of the fruitfulness of that belief, and I had to let it go. 
Now, I could have held on to it and said, I'm just not even going to engage all of these things that are toxic or twisted or conflicting. Or I could have said, this has only been regret for me. I have been lied to. This is terrible theology, and I take nothing with me, and I, 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 I hold it away from me. And either one would have been resisting the fullness of that cycle. Instead, I can say, wow, this idea is no longer serving me. I see the way that it harmed me. And I see the wisdom that I, I gleaned from being on this journey, whether the wisdom was from the idea itself or from the process of discovering its toxicity. I have grown from this spiritual cycle. And now I take this and I bury it with myself in the earth, trusting that there is something on the other side. Because this is the problem with belief. We worry that if we give up a belief like Jesus on the cross or hell or, um, or the inerrancy of scripture, we, we worry that if we let those things that are no longer tenable, if we let those things break down, we worry there is nothing for us on the other side. But I promise you, I assure you, with the love of God, today, without break, God will be with you into a new thing. That burying that in the ground and letting it break down, submitting yourself and your doubts and your faith and your belief and your process to Jesus Jesus will not abandon you on that path. And there will be something more whole, more holy on the other side. For me, I'm still in the formation stages of understanding what comes after that particular belief. But now I know that God came in the form of Jesus not to fulfill some blood vendetta, but because God wanted to be with us because it was worth it to face that pain, because even the cross couldn't keep Jesus from being present with me and with you and with all of creation. And that feels like a totally different and much more life-giving journey for me. I invite you, you to open yourself to the next adventure. What are some of the things that you need to let be buried, to disintegrate, what stages of your faith are ending so that you can find new life? And again, I want you to, as you face the end of things, remember that promise from Jesus on the cross facing his own death. Jesus says, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Next week, we will be hearing from community members who have moved through each of these cycles in various ways and hearing their testimony of where they've been on the journey and what they've gleaned from it. And in the meantime, I want you to reflect. What cycle are you in? Where are you at in a cycle? What is the new call to adventure? What is the call to, to bury and compost? Where are you at and where is God meeting you? And all the while, if you are experiencing doubt or despair, come back to that promise of Jesus. I assure you that today, without break, I am with you in paradise, a new thing. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we pray that we would trust in your cycles of creation and life and generativity and death and new life. 
God, it is terrifying facing the end of things that have defined us, of projects or people or relationships that we have held so dear. But God, you call us to walk with hands open, to receive your blessing, to let those blessings end, and to receive blessing anew. God, may we be faithful, may we trust in you, and may your words assure our hearts that we are not alone and that there is always more around the corner. Amen.